now and welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of the podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Complicating? Complicated? It is complicated. Josephine, one of your hosts, can't talk today. She's being replaced with a <laughs> more erudite person. Just a moment. Hi, I'm back. Hello, Dr. J. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Clearly not functioning, but I'm okay. That's the one. Normal for a given value of normal. That's exactly how I feel. And from now on, that is the only answer to that question I'm ever giving. Um, hello, Dr. J. <laughs> Hello, Josephine. Who, what, why, and when are you? Oh, gosh, when am I? Well, I'm also a freaking time lord, so I literally have no idea of when I am. When is this voice going out? When am I recording this voice, and when are you hearing this voice? I'm going to be two very different times. Oh, one of the interesting things is because I'm known as a bit of a time lord at work. Um, somebody was having problems with my pronouns which I totally understood. And I said to them, look, it's really easy. Think of me as like Doctor Who. There are multiples and therefore I'm not a singular person. I am a they. And they just went, oh, oh my, oh, you are, aren't you? Yes, <laughs> this is accurate. <laughs> you are all legion. Yeah, we are legion. Terrifying, love it. It's amazing. So let's start with the when am I? Who am I? Hi, I'm Dr. J. I gave myself the job title Harbinger of Change because the lovely place where I work, ThoughtWorks, allowed me to do so. I also got to give myself the gender transgressive non-binary gender queer because New Zealand allows self-ID. Well, at least in terms of changing the gender on your passport. So thank you, Jacinda and the New Zealand government. And please continue to vote in sensible people into your government, New Zealand. What else about me? I'm a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding. So when are you, Josephine? Hello, my name is Josephine Barrett. I am an independent scholar and activist and artist, occasionally performing and making a spectacle of myself on the stage. More recently, I am a visual artist and you can find my scribblings on the internet, which is probably where you're listening to this at the very moment. So welcome to our brains. And I like to think of myself as a queer without portfolio. So that segues nicely into what we decided to talk about today, which is value and valuing yourself within a capitalist society. Yes. Speaking of value in a capitalist society, and here's another segue from your segue, you can go to our Patreon page and become one of our patrons. And if you do so, you'll help us make many more fabulous queer things. Go to patreon.com slash it is complicated, all one word. Is that value for money? Segue. More than bloody likely. Well, well, it's how do you it's, value? It's exactly. It's how do you value, value queer production? How do you value listening to a podcast? How it's much definitely. do you value it? Because we put time into it. You put time listening to it. And how do you value all of that in any shape within this capitalist society? Because you're valuable to me, Dr. J. And can I quantify that? No, but I shall count the ways. <laughs> but yes, value. <laughs> I personally find it really, really difficult to value, especially myself and my own time. I chronically undervalue myself. That's part of one of the reasons I got as ill as I did and was something I had to work really hard on. And I've managed to just about get myself to a point where I value myself a little bit. I wouldn't like to say how much or in relation to whom, because... <laughs> 
unfortunately it's still a work in progress but at least i've managed to figure out that i am worth something what that is i don't know but self-worth is such a tricky tricky subject and then if you're a freelancer or if you're an artist of any kind which i have been for 20 years um you have to do this constantly and it's a painful exercise every single time and i still haven't gotten used to it so much so that i think two days ago or a day ago dr j um had commissioned me to do some lovely art which i really enjoyed doing and then asked me quite a simple question like how much do you want for that and i couldn't answer because i have no fucking idea how to begin to answer that question and thankfully dr j helped me out by putting me out of my misery and giving me money <laughs> I really appreciate it. I'm in almost the opposite position because I work as a consultant. I know pretty much my value as in what I'm paid. I know my value as in what I'm charged out at, at various clients. And I know that the perceived value of somebody is whether or not they ask us to come back again. So there's a whole thing around, I'm very aware of my value within that system my value as a photographer i'm as bad as everyone else of like well it's a piece of art and it took some time to create but i you know i i don't really want to price myself out and there's part of me going oh for fuck's sakes just set a price and and go for it because the worst they can do is turn around and negotiate you down and go oh that's a little bit much what about this which is perfectly reasonable for somebody to turn around and say but we are always so nervous about putting ourselves out because it's about, especially when it's around art, it feels like much more your self-value. Whereas when I do a piece of worky work, even though that is also kind of quite artistic at times um, and artful, I have no problems going, well, it was half a day. So it's going to be somewhere between this amount and this amount. And let me pitch it in at the top amount and we'll be prepared to negotiate. That's the thing I can't do. I find it really hard to negotiate because I've never figured this out. When someone comes to you and says, hi, would you do this thing as an artist or especially as a freelance performer or if you're working in any capacity in that regard, I find it really hard to set a price. And then I find it tremendously difficult to negotiate because part of me just wants to say, well, tell me how much you got and that'll do. You know, part of me wants to say, well, this is the amount I would normally charge. And then if they negotiate, I go, okay, I don't know how to respond to that. (laughs) Like, what do I do? I don't know. I'm not used to this. And it doesn't matter that I've been doing it for two decades. I'm still crap at it. And if I could afford an agent, (laughs) perhaps that's something I should get. On the other hand, I can't and I'm queer. (laughs) So, I mean, you know. What fucking queer has an agent? I know of one person. And it's Auntie Rosie. She is a literary agent, right? She is a literary agent. She doesn't have an agent for anything else. Exactly. That's my point. It's like, you know, even if you have an agent for one thing, you probably don't have one for another. But it's that portfolioing, portfolioing of careers that we do of, I'm not just service designer, business analyst in a tech sphere. Mm. I'm also a photographer as an art. And I'm also... (laughs) a podcaster now and a speaker well I can value myself in one space and and in others but if I got an agent no one would know enough about those three spaces to agent me 
realistically across those three spaces because what people charge for me as a service designer business analyst with 20 years experience is very different to what I can ask for as a speaker and is very different to what I would ask for as an artist. Part of me wants to break it down to its fundamentals and then part of me wants to talk about anecdotes, both of which I think are relevant. Given that we're in that system, how do we function within it in an ethical manner as well as a personal one where we value ourselves to a certain standard, what is that standard? How do we set that standard? How can we help others to set that standard as well and to make our exchange of energy, time, ability, training, whatever it is that we do value, more ethical? Because it can't be ethical when we live in capitalism. There's no such thing. But more ethical, more valuable, more equity, not using that word. Equitable. Especially as people who are different queer, non-binary, trans, I found that our value is especially tricky. To give an example, my first job in Sweden was at an opera house, which was fabulous because I'd never been an opera singer. And I got a phone call one day from a director who said, would you like to be in an opera? And I said, yes, because of course I would. I want a job. (laughs) And then I met her and I said, you know, I have to be honest here. I've never been in an opera. And she said, oh, good. I've never directed one. And uh, we hit it off from there. And it was rather good. <laughs> Suzanne Ossie, she's wonderful. But when I was cast, I had their financial person call me on the phone and say to me, hi, um, we need to figure out what your salary is going to be. And I was like, okay, don't really know what to do here. And they were like, okay, so can you tell me what training you have? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, um, I don't know, decade of standing on milk crates, uh, floorboards, uh, I don't know, bar tables trying to make drunk people happy. Is that training? I think it is. <laughs> Personally, I think it's danger training, but there you go. And then she was like, okay, all right, um, hmm, tricky, let me see. And then just rattled off questions, basically trying to figure out what I could do. And I was like, well, I can play the drums and I'm a gymnast. I used to dance and I'd been paid to do this and I've been paid to be a comp parent and an MC. And she's noting all this stuff down. <laughs> she's going, what else can you do? Well, I can roller skate and I have a master's in gender studies and et She was like, right, okay, I've written all this down. Yeah, I can't use any of this. Because <laughs> <laughs> none of it fell into her little boxes because the way they figure out how to pay people here is exclusively based on their training. So she gave me a really high salary because she was just like, I can't figure this out. How's this? And she gave me a number and I was like, because I was being my own agent, I was like, yeah, no, that sounds reasonable. And of course, inside I'm going, (laughs) more money I've ever been paid in my life for anything. And uh, I was very grateful because I used that money to live off for about three years. But yeah, trying to figure out my value apparently proved to be very difficult for this system and even in an art space and we're talking about an opera house that regularly casts and hires artists and that's all they do and they're professionals and they still had trouble trying to define a what it is that I could do and b how much that was valuable to them in their system and I didn't fit in the box again and what a surprise what a surprise I mean I I told her, you know, I got accepted into the Laban School of Contemporary Dance, which I did. And I didn't go. And the reason I didn't go was because I was transitioning at the time. And I knew that there is not many places that are as gendered as dance. (laughs) 
And when you're transitioning and you go to a school and your idea is to get a job where you'll be paid as a professional dancer and you're not going to fit into one of the two very narrow boxes, the girls do this, boys do this, and you go, I don't know which one I am yet, or even if I'm either. And I just said, no, I'm not going because this is not going to end well. And I think that was the right decision. But of course, that was because of my queer background. That was because of who I was. And because I was a queer performer, a trans performer, all of my credits, so to speak, are from very odd little places that hired me to do odd little jobs that I adore, but aren't valued. Because how do you value two decades of experience on cabaret stages? Uh, How do you value appearing in three or four or five different films, all of which had different funding models because not one of them could get funded in the normal way. I've been credited as an associate producer. I've been credited as a writer. I've been credited as an actor. And I still have absolutely no idea what any of those people earn because I've never been paid as one. You know, I would happily cook for people and do really lovely roasts and things like that, but just would not consider that I should do that for myself. I would only do it if other people were eating it. And that's an interesting thing, because, I mean, I think that's something a lot of people can relate to. There's certainly an idea that is pervasive, the notion that you could do those things when there are other people around, but you wouldn't do it for yourself. And why is that exactly? At the time, I don't think I thought I was valuable enough to spend the effort on. Whereas now I'm like, well, it's also the fact that it has been days of solitude that's also part of it of like once you reach that point you're like I have to cook for myself I have to make myself feel good but I was doing that beforehand but previously I made food as fuel type meals which were often some cheese on a piece of bread because that's fast and easy and and is calorific whereas now I will spend time I will bake the bread I will I don't make cheese, but I will choose nice cheeses. I will choose nice chutleys and things like that to go with them and actually make a a nice thing out of even just a little bit of bread, bread and cheese. Like I'm just cooking a chicken and some cauliflower and we'll do some stir fried stuff to go with it as well because it tastes nice and it will go really well together and I'm worth spending the time on. And maybe it's about I'm worth the time to spend on me. Yeah, which I think is something that we're not taught culturally. And I think we touched on some of this before in a previous episode on self-care. But I think it's, it's in a general sense, very useful to revisit that concept often, I think, because mm. it's really easy to forget. I find one of the things that is especially difficult is to remember those habits. And this is the psychologist in me saying habit forming behaviors such as treating yourself nicely can actually convince yourself to believe that you are a value which Mm. is really weird that you have to trick your own brain like that sometimes but it's true i found that um through my own personal experience that the only way to remind myself to value myself is by to do things as if i did (laughs) that sounds really stupid but i've had a really hard time working on self-worth and value It's one of the things I found extremely difficult, still really, really difficult. I think I told a story before about this, but Effie's had to teach me to spend money on myself. She literally had to hand me money and go, our money is the same. We pool it together because we live together in in a way that is um, cohabitating 
shall we say. So we pool our money and it's always the same money. Now, some of that money is in my bank account and some of it's in hers. It's the same money. And yet in order to get me to pay anything for myself, she literally had to last week give me a bunch of money and go, go spend this on you because Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> I just won't do it. And it's, it's infuriating. I'm, I'm actually angry at myself at this point because it is such a rigmarole getting, getting myself to do this that I'm almost embarrassed admitting to it. But, it's but is, that, is that because you're used to living on the edge with money and that money is a worry? And if you had enough money, do you think you would still have the same issue with value? Because as somebody who is in a position where don't listen to ThoughtWorks, where I have enough money, thank you for not listening to ThoughtWorks, where I have enough money, or I have what I feel like is sufficient money for many things, it's about what I do with it. And it becomes less about obtaining it because it's not a worry. If you have money, do you find it as difficult to spend it on yourself? Absolutely. In a weird way, it's very difficult for me to answer the question. There hasn't been for quite a long time a time in my life where I felt secure financially. So I'm always a little bit in that mindset. But if that were the case, then I would be worried about spending money on anything. And that's not true. Ah. Because I'll spend money on Effie, no problem at all. In fact, I thoroughly encourage her to spend money on, on you know, the things that she loves, which is any number of things, but one of which is making clothes. And she makes beautiful clothes, and I really encourage her to spend what money she feels capable of doing and what money I can provide with my meager income on material or tools to do that. And it makes me really happy when she does that. And Miranda has a birthday on Sunday and I have no problem trying to spend as much money on her as physically possible <laughs> to get her a birthday present that she would like. This does not concern me other than like, okay, I can spend this much money and we still need this for food, which I can do without a second thought. And then it comes to me and I think, no, can't spend any money on me because we may need something else. We may need petrol, we need food, we may need blue tech, we may need, um, I don't know. How much blue tech would you actually have to need to <laughs> make it have to worry to come up in your budget? I just want to think of funny random things, hedgehogs <laughs> or, you know, like I'm incapable of valuing myself, especially monetarily. I find mm. it really really difficult and I have this aversion to it I avoid it and I avoid spending money on myself and I avoid valuing myself and I avoid even situations where someone might want to give me money because I don't want to tell them how much money to give me because I find it really hard and so I will put off the, those discussions as, as much as I physically can. I saw it happen of like yeah. because of the COVID situation for many artists, I made the decision to choose a couple of artists and get some work commissioned because it's a nice way of supporting people, but also it was about me spending money on things that I really liked with people who I really liked. And one of those people was Josephine. Another one was Freddie Lanska, who does the Images for Queer House Party. And I got them to do a number of of different images and I sent everybody the same images which is which is great and it's been a brilliant fun thing to do um so 
I had somebody who's like, I charge this for doing a small one. And I'm like, well, I'll get two. So I'll send you this. Is that okay? And they're like, yep, that's completely fine. Whereas with Josephine, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) I want to give you some money. And it's like, I don't really know. And it's like, okay, I will give you about what I sent the other person. How does this sound? I think and, and I even explained the rationale and Josephine was still just sitting there looking gobsmacked at me. Yeah, it's, it's tragic. And uh, you're not the first person to have that problem. I can think of several people who've commissioned me who've all come up with that particular issue. I apologize to all those wonderful people who've chosen to commission me. And should you, dear listener in the future, choose to commission me, make me give you a price up front. No, <laughs> no, even better. <laughs> Talk to me and I'll do the pricing for you. Oh, okay. Uh, Dr. J is my um, artistic agent. We shall, we shall add it to my portfolio <laughs> career. This is how difficult I find it. When I see people who have trouble valuing themselves, I really empathize. Whereas I have another friend who's, well, who's also neuro-non-normative in a slightly different way to Josephine. The lovely Ash Wild and I'd commissioned a piece and said, I've done the piece and this is... If you, if you just want a number, here's the number. If you want to negotiate, I'm happy to negotiate. And I was like, thank you. That's all I needed was the number. Here you go. I'll put the money in your account later tonight. That complete bluntness made it a very easy conversation to have. Yeah, that bluntness is really great. And every time I've had those kind of conversations, I've appreciated it and the other side has appreciated it. But I think this is one of the interesting things that you brought up, which is the social convention around money and talking about money. We've mentioned several times different activities that we've had involving monetary values and yet we've not presented a figure at any time we've always said an amount this amount i think tell me if i'm wrong jay one of the reasons we're doing that is because these things tend to be considered kind of private we're not sharing the values that we would have paid someone because we don't want to share their particular business but even ourselves we haven't referenced the figures because culturally we're taught to one degree or another that those things are relatively private. Is that also? It's also because the people who did that work for me, I know one of them likely said, it's about this. And because I've done some other work, turned around and said, actually, it's going to be this for you. And I'm very aware of the for you-ness of a lot of Mm. the costs. And this is something that came up with Queer House Party was non-financial returns for work so it was very much queer house party and cyber tees the djs have an interesting relationship of all the djs and the dancers they work for each other but no money exchanges hands and it's a non-financial equitable relationship the two issues that i think are really interesting and in what dr j just said is the combination of a notion of for you-ness in value and also this sort of notion of exchange instead of like putting a monetary value as we've already talked about one of the difficult things is placing a monetary value on something in a system where you don't believe that money should be used in that way which i think we can collectively agree is probably one of the worst ways to value something in queer communities when money is limited exchange of talent exchange of ideas exchange of labor exchange of any number of things happens pretty regularly and that kind of is bartered in a sort of one-on-one or one-to-group way that is unique to that situation so as jay said the for you-ness i mean this is a concept known in economics and 
you know, any science you want to talk about, that value is basically variable dependent on the people that are attempting to adjust that value to each other. So something is not valuable to Jay may be extremely valuable to me. In a queer dynamic, often I think we find that we try to exchange those things we have mutual value for. Now, they may not be quantifiably the same value at all. I've been given things that I think are priceless for things that I felt were quite minor. I can think of several instances where I've been given art, for example, in exchange for work that I consider like, well, okay, I don't even think of that as almost even a skill, but I'm really glad it means something to you. And that's why I can exchange this thing, knowing that you value this thing perhaps as highly as I value the thing that I've received. And in that sense, I'm much more comfortable with that idea. But of course, I also need to eat. <laughs> Hence Patreon. Segway. It's very different to that notion of working for free for exposure of, I will promote you, I will get you some media, I will put you on my social media, and for that, you should work for free. And that is very different to this notion of exchange for you. I think this is a point. Now, I'm going to say Jim Sterling here is a, another video essayist. Did a wonderful episode of valuing yourself as a writer online. And they said this. Anybody who says they can't afford to pay you cannot give you the exposure they're promising. Because if they could afford to pay you, that means that they're getting enough money in, which means that they have enough reach to actually expose your work to a wide enough audience. So if they say, do this for exposure and not money because I can't afford to pay you, they can't do even that. So don't fall for it. It's a trick. <laughs> it's always a trap. And I really love that idea. And I've been keeping that in mind ever since I heard it. I think that's particularly good. And one of the other things around value is I exist in two worlds. I exist in the corporate world and in the queer world, and I straddle both of them. There is a notion from the corporate world that doesn't value the queer world, that says, I want the queer world to come in and talk or do a workshop or tell us about the queer world, tell us about this diverse world, tell us about this minority world, and they don't want to pay for it. And it's not because they don't value it. They just don't understand the difference in power and the difference in transactions within a capitalist society. That saying to me, who works in the corporate world, to come and do an hour's talk during a lunch hour, I've already made my money for the day. I've got enough money to clothe myself, house myself, feed myself. That's very different to saying the same thing to Josephine. And not recognizing that there is that difference between talking to somebody who is within that structure and is outside of that structure and being aware of that. And, and I know that it's probably played out a lot in July during Pride of a lot of corporates coming to queers and going, hi, it's Pride. Would you like to come and talk to us? And it's like, yeah, show me the money. And they're like, we don't have any budget or there is no budget this year or, oh, we'll promote you on our website. And it's like, but that ain't going to pay me. And it's trying to explain that difference to people has been a real interesting tension because it's like, I'm not asking to be paid because I'm within that structure. But if you're talking to people outside of this capitalist corporate structure, you have to constantly think about paying people. There is a very real difference of asking me to come and sit on a panel for an hour after work. Yeah, that's fine. Pay me in a box of chocolates and a few doodads and a jumper and 
doing the same to somebody who was outside of that corporate structure. And in fact, this is the first time I think I've been able to articulate it clearly because people have taken it as me saying, you need to pay me. And it's like, no, you're not quite understanding that difference between myself within corporate structure, working in this world, and people from outside of this world who you're bringing in, who you want to listen to, who you want to talk to, you have to pay in a slightly different way. You have to give them money in a way that you wouldn't think about in terms of somebody like myself. And that doesn't mean that I should be the only one invited. And that doesn't mean when you've got no budget, just call on me. Because I will turn around and say, well, you know, you want me to talk about the black queer experience. I'm probably not somebody who should talk about it. Let me see. Travis Alabanza, Shay Shay Kimono, Lily Snatchdragon. Let me start reeling off queer, trans, intersex people of color who should be taking the space ahead of me. There is monetary value that exists within a corporate structure. And that corporate structure needs to understand that when it's dealing with people from outside of that structure, the money actually matters. When people are outside of that corporate structure, they will find other ways of representing value. The only value that a corporate structure really understands is money. So everything outside of money, it doesn't really get. So it's like, okay, payers and money. Whereas outside the corporate structure, we value things slightly differently and we will do, this is a deal for you, that mutuality, but it's also where both sides feel that it's fair, where both sides feel that this has represented a good value for the work, et cetera, that was done. Exchange of value. I value this that I can give to you that I know that you value and you return me something that you value that you feel that I can value. Hmm. It's, it's value, that notion of exchange, of, of valuing the other person and what they can do, who they are um, for you hmm. and vice versa. I mean, I think what's interesting is you've really made me think of this notion about, I think I brought up the notion about privacy because I've heard people talk about this, especially in America. This is the thing I know from the United States, that people don't like to talk about their salaries. It's considered improper somehow to discuss your salary. And yet that is one of the mechanisms that people are subjected to discrimination by because you don't talk about your salary. You don't know what your coworkers are earning. So therefore you can be subjugated to a inequitable you know a devalued position by in terms of salary and that privacy that notion of keeping these things private i think is damaging whereas the point you just made that the value judgment that you and an artist made is personal to you sharing that might actually harm them or even harm your relationship in the sense of like, these are the things that we value between each other. This is for us, not for someone else. That for you-ness, I think, can be quite lovely and also provides a sense of intimate connection or value mm. or any, whatever you want to call it. And yes, of course, if I say I did it for this amount for so-and-so, someone I don't know might come to me and go, well, you can do the same thing for me. Then it's like, ah, mm. no, different situation. Because I work very much in the past i've worked very much on that sliding scale i've always said i work to the amount that you have <laughs> because i can't work any other way i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad i do have a corporate rate and i know that because i've been paid it exactly once by a corporation so therefore i have a corporate rate but that's the thing of like a corporate can turn around and afford and budget and 
plan. And it also means that they value you in the way that they consider value. Yes. You know, the number of times I've had to build out a return on investment. How do you build out the return on investment on having a queer come and talk to you about inclusion? But I can do that much more than a return on investment in any other capacity, because that makes sense to me. Like I can say that has tremendous value and knock on effect in these several ways, because I find those things valuable. But to turn that into a money notion, I couldn't even begin to do. And that's why we're in completely different worlds. And I love that. It's about valuing time. Like I value my time. I'm, I work at a job that I quite enjoy, that, that actually gives me a lot of energy. And, but I value the time out of there. And the time that I value out of there, I value enough to spend money. If I want something done, I could have spent hours learning how to do a particular style of drawing and how to convert these images into drawing and how to do that thing. Or I can converse with an artist and go, or several artists and go, I have a desire to have these things turned into something like this. You will spend time on this. How much of my time that I've earned can I spend across? And it becomes part of that exchange. That's a very confusing metaphor and we'll probably get rid of it. This is what I like about this. I mean, again, caveat being we live in an imperfect system. If we lived in a perfect system, everybody would be paid for their time equally and they can just get on with their lives. But (laughs) it's like, given the system we live in, normal for given value normal, you've said, I'm doing this thing that I enjoy, which has been valued by this imperfect system to this amount. I have friends who do things that I value. I'd like to give them some of the markers that I've gained for doing this thing to do what they do really well, which will also give me pleasure. Yes, completely. To support an artist doing what they love, to create something beautiful that I can admire and know came from my support is a tremendous pleasure. And I value that feeling very highly. So it's not just like, I value art. Yes, I would love to buy your picture, your game, your video, your movie, your music, your performance. I would love to support that with my with the money that I managed somehow to scrape together. What's even better is if I literally call you up and say, I want to give you directly, you money for your art that then I and others can enjoy. That is a thrill. I love that feeling. I really do. It's my, perhaps my favorite experience of this imperfect system is to be able to use money to do that. And I'm tremendously grateful for those who do it for us. And Dr. J did it for me not that long ago. And uh, it was wonderful. And I valued that experience as a person who's been asked to create art just as much. And I think maybe that's the most profound exchange that I can imagine in those terms. Yeah, I like it. I'm very much about performance. I value the one-offness of performance. It only exists for a moment. And then last year for my birthday, I had wanted to go see Pink in concert and I missed out on tickets. I looked at what it would cost to go to Oslo and see the concert and added up the cost and then decided that was slightly too much to spend on one evening. But that cost spread across a year would be great to spend on performance across a year. So basically I spent a year spending what I would have spent on going to see Pink on a whole pile of weird performances, which also included randomly enough tickets to go see Pink because she released tickets that were 
restricted view that we're incredibly cheap so we could afford them. I don't know how many I went to, but I was spending over a hundred pounds a month on tickets to something. I would just go, I want to go see company. So I buy myself a ticket to go see company and went and saw company or Stephen Sondheim at the national theater. And I would constantly buy tickets to every queer performance that I could and just spend a year just luxuriating in the sense of performance. That makes me so happy. I just love your calculation. <laughs> I love these calculations that we, because it reminds me of so many internal calculations I've made. Nothing quite so grandiose and fucking fabulous as that, because that is really good. And as a performer, as someone who's done that work, I can tell you how much that means. And I know you know that, but, you know, to hear that, just it just brings a huge smile to my face. And in that sense, to make one of the last segues of the night, I'd like to say I valued this time with you tremendously highly, Jane. This has been lovely as always. I value doing this podcast tremendously. So do I. Thank you for sharing it with me. And all of the people who happen to be listening at the moment, you are valued just as highly too. We could talk about something else. Like what? this particular person who may or may not have published something yet again on the internet and we could discuss that. I'd rather not. (laughs) That joke is ours now. That joke is ours. We value it. We value it. Fuck off. <laughs> that Fuck wasn't off. directed at you, Lister. That was directed <laughs> at the author, I presume. <laughs> yes, that was definitely directed at the author.